I was going to say that I uh, had a word that this is a special blessing in this message for the first three rows, but that would be actually lying, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> right. The subject matter that we're looking at over the last two weeks has been quite a, I think, quite a challenging but quite an important one. I think it's a, an area that we neglect our emotional life is something that culturally and traditionally we kind of bury a little bit. I think probably more so men than, than ladies, but you know, that's a bit of a generalization. Uh, we kind of have an idea that we should never trust our feelings. And I think as we listen to words from, from Ronald and from Pastor this morning, some of the challenges there are on about not letting things lie sometimes there's is that me buzzing so I go back a step I've come too close haven't I I come click now is it, is it me buzzing is that better it's a he said right okay I'm ascribing powers to myself that are greater than actually exist right and the idea that we can't really trust our feelings, there are elements of that in Scripture. We see how, yeah, the heart can be deceitful. We can fool ourselves. We can trick ourselves. And we can be led in the wrong direction by feelings. But having said that, as we've looked at different points in different Scriptures, we also understand that God made us with emotions. Emotions come from God. God himself feels deeply and Love has an, an emotional element as well as all its other elements. So we can't afford to neglect our emotions. Sometimes that means, as we've seen, dealing with stuff, going back to go forwards, dealing with things in the past to give ourselves the right emotional framework now. We've also heard recently in the sermon series before that sometimes walking as a follower of Jesus can be quite uncomfortable. And if you're not emotionally mature, uncomfortable things will deflect you in the wrong direction because you don't feel comfortable. So therefore you go a different way. And we're not called to do that. We need to have that emotional stability, security, maturity so that we can go the right way even if it's uncomfortable. So tonight, I'm going to look at a subject the actual title of, the, of the, the chapter in the book that this comes from is Journey Through the War. I was excited to get this particular title. You'll see why in a minute, because it gives me the chance to use illustrations. You know when you get an illustration and you say to yourself, Lord, that is such a good illustration, but you haven't got the sermon to go with it. And you can't really just add it in just for the fun of it, can you? Because that wouldn't be right. But then one day... 11 years later, no, it wasn't that long. The sermon comes along and you think, now is the time. I can't do it as I would like to do it. You'll see why in a minute, but my opportunity has come. The subtitle, though, of this chapter, Journey Through the Wall, is Letting Go of Power and Control. Who likes to have control of stuff in their life? Who would like, not many of us have this, who would like to have some kind of power over your circumstances and things? 
we all kind of like that idea, don't we? But this is actually about letting go of that. So just, you know, sorry about that, but that's what it is. And as a kind of a, a touchstone Bible story, we look, we're thinking of the story of Abraham. So I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But first of all, I'd like to just get you settled into it so you know what, what's coming. I like books that have stories of people facing huge challenges. Like, you know, people who are going to run a big marathon or an ultra or something like that. Or uh, people who have joined some kind of elite unit and they've got a train and over do you like these kind of things and, and you hear all about the incredible obstacles they've got to overcome huge challenges and it all gets very emotional actually as I've got older and in a way more au fait with IT I kind of like watch YouTube videos now rather than read books not all the time obviously but there's a lot of YouTube videos and it's like uh an intake on a course for the Royal Marine Commandos and they're all like, it describes all these ordinary people and they all come along at the beginning on the train station and they all look quite ordinary and normal and young. They seem to be about 10. And then it interviews them all and then they start going through the training and they start getting, and they, they inevitably seem to find something that is their nemesis. A certain aspect of their training. A lot of it is climbing ropes. That's hard. I find it's a bit of a nemesis for me as well. I can't climb ropes. And they keep going, they keep going. They're not going to do it. They're going to drop out. They're giving up. They're in tears. It's horrible. And then suddenly something clicks in place and they overcome this huge obstacle. I'm watching this six-minute YouTube video, getting quite emotional, while, while Les is watching Carnation Street, thinking, why is he being so antisocial over there with his headphones on? Uh, and I like these sort of things, this idea of huge challenge, someone really ordinary but somehow managing to motivate themselves overcome the huge challenge and achieve a fantastic goal they never thought they were going to do I love those sort of things so when I saw this subject matter journey through the war well, this is what it's going to be I'm going to be telling everyone about how you need to grit your teeth and you'll get through and come out the other side and everything's going to be great you'll be pleased to know that this this sermon is nothing like that whatsoever My illustration. Army assault courses always have a 12-foot wall on it, in it somewhere. They always have a 12-foot wall. 12 foot is a lot bigger than the average person's height, isn't it? Anyone here 12 foot? No, obviously not. If you were, then probably we could make a lot of money together in some way. Uh, but there's no one here who's 12 foot. 12 foot is the, tall, is the height of two tall people, really, isn't it? Uh, it is high. And it's really hard to get over. So they teach you, when you're doing your sort course, to, to pair up. You can see now why I'm not literally doing this. And the idea is that one person stands like this, with the hands like that. And then the next person runs at them as fast as you can. And then you kind of jump and land with your right foot. You actually have to say right or left so they know which foot is coming at them jam it into their hands and then you jump up at the same time as the person with their hands ready lifts and then they push you up either overhead height or if it doesn't quite work you sort of go over onto their shoulder not their head because that can be quite uncomfortable and then that little lift and over, over you go you get up to the top you put your elbows on like that you swing your leg your right leg up first 
you lie on top of the wall, then you're on top of the wall and you sort of swivel around. As you swivel around, hands like that, you drop down the other side, you push away from the wall with your feet. As you do so, you turn in the air. It sounds great, doesn't it? It's like the Matrix. Uh, you turn in the air and you land on your feet, a couple of feet from the base of the wall, on the other side, bending the knees, and then running off as if nothing had happened. That's the, what you're taught to do. So, I got to the top of the wall, did that all right, I think the third attempt, probably. Uh, got on top, swiveled over, got to the other side, hung like that, my hands slipped, I fell backwards. I didn't connect as I tried to push away, and I landed flat on my back, on the floor, thinking that didn't work well. And the corporal sort of came around and looked, saw that I was still breathing, and he said, that wasn't how I taught you to do it, was it? And I said, no, no, corporal. He said, I think you need to go around and do it again, don't you? Yeah, so back I went and did it again. <laughs> but do you know, although all the assault courses have a, a wall, the point of getting people to go over the wall is not so you can be an expert wall scaler. As far as I'm aware, there's never been an occasion where large numbers of men were sent into dangerous places to climb over lots of walls. It's never happened as far as I know. I haven't seen any history books that said, you know, the war of the walls. It's never happened. The purpose of the wall is not the wall. The purpose of it is the teamwork that's built getting up, the overcoming anxiety, fear and worry to get over the other side and drop down, and the presence of mind to be able to follow complicated instructions, to me they were complicated, in stressful and difficult situations. You're not going to need to get over that many walls that high, that frequently you are going to need to be able to have those other attributes. And you'll notice the thrust of this evening is to understand that the walls that we face, there's a reason for them. It's not all about the wall. It's about understanding the purpose in the wall. So, following Jesus is something of a journey. We understand that. It begins with a life changing experience a life changing encounter every one of us that has started to follow Jesus has done so because somebody told us or God in some other way caused us to find out and discover who he is and in doing that we understood that Jesus rescues us before that, we didn't know we need rescuing, maybe. Whatever our situations were, sometimes people have to come to a crashing down low. Sometimes people are just seeking truth and don't know what it is. But whatever our, our background, at some point, we discovered by God's grace that we needed Jesus. And Jesus caused that to happen in the way that was right for us. And we have this life-changing encounter that means we said, in some way, in some words, Jesus, change my life. Forgive my sin. 
give me the new start that you alone can give me. However we phrased it, however we prayed it, wherever it happens, in church, out of church, on our own with others, however it happens, the journey with Jesus starts with, with that encounter. And then we enter a kind of a stage of learning about Jesus. That happens with people teaching us, people sitting down and going through Bible studies or Bible stories. It happens in relationships that start to change. All different ways, but we learn about Jesus. And from that, we go into a time of serving, of actually doing things that we feel are right to do because we're different. Then, as that happens, it starts to provoke turmoil within. We know a lot more about Jesus. We know a lot more about what is good and true and right and what isn't. And things we accepted before are suddenly challenged. And we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to serve Jesus. And sometimes it's tough. Sometimes we discover things in ourselves that make it difficult to follow Jesus because we're not up to the mark. And so we start to look at ourselves and realize that we need to put things right. And this stage of kind of looking inward is really important. But it's not meant to be where we stay because then we have to start, as we change inwardly, looking outward. And that new perspective that we've gained needs to be expressed as we try, and even more than we were when we were serving, we need to try and reach people. And then eventually we look at ourselves and realize we are transformed. We have been transformed. This journey that we've been on with all its ups and downs and all its different stages has led to us becoming utterly different whilst being the same. With the same person, the same basics of our character are there. We laugh at the same jokes, some of the same jokes. We are different as different can be but we're still recognisably us. That journey takes our whole life. And there are backwards and forwards and twos and, th and throws, two and four and throw, two, back and forth, that'll do. There's a lot going on in that journey. But at some point within that journey, and usually at the point between when we first start to really want to serve Jesus in some way, and then something that provokes us to look inward and look at what's not right, what needs to change, something that we are calling tonight the wall happens. It causes us to reevaluate. It causes us to become not just uncomfortable, but possibly a little bit desperate. And it's all happening in our emotions. So this wall, the wall isn't just the minor irritations of life that we face. Hands up who's had minor irritations today. Any, any, today, I mean, just mean ever. Some of you haven't. Right, I'm possibly going to come and chat to you afterwards to find out your secret. How you avoid having minor irritations for a whole day. Well done. But the wall isn't minor irritations. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from the book itself now. The book, by the way, just, just in case I know it's been mentioned a few times, is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. In case you're thinking it's a bit of a mystery and it's like a special book that only special people can have, you can get it off Amazon. So it's quite special, but 
only special to the degree that you can just order it online anytime you want. That's it. A couple of quotes that talk about what the wall actually is. Another phrase I used to describe it is, and here this is a bit more of a historical one, but it sounds a bit dramatic, so I've stuck with the wall. The dark night of the soul. Has anyone heard of that phrase, the dark night of the soul? It's a similar sort of thing. How do we know we are in the dark night? Our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descend upon us. The Christian disciplines that have served us up to this time no longer work. We can't see what God is doing and we see little visible fruit in our lives. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves. We question God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. These start to sound like experiences you've either had yourself or seen other people go through. One more little passage. What is important here to note is that trials we encounter each day are not the war. So the trivial things, we're not talking about that, or the dark night of the soul. Trials, these are the irritating things, are the traffic jams, annoying bosses, delayed airline departures, car breakdowns, fevers, and barking dogs in the middle of the night. James referred to this, consider it, my bro- my, consider it pure, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Walls, and these are some biblical examples, are David fleeing a jealous king for 13 years in the desert. Walls are Job losing his 10 children, health and possessions in a day. Walls are Abraham waiting 25 years for the birth of his first child, Isaac. I'm going to stay with Abraham a minute. Because Abraham had a promise from God. And the reference that the book uses is the, is the part of the story in chapter 22, verses 1 to 15 of Genesis, which I'm going to come to in a second. But in the story of, Gen- of, of Abraham, we know that God had promised that he would be a father of a nation. And a key to that promise was he was going to have a son. And he was old, and his wife was old. And both of them thought this can't really happen, but God is God, and God has promised it, so we're going to choose to believe it. So 25 years went by before the promise had its fulfillment. 
And the suggestion is that was quite a wall. It wasn't a small thing. It wasn't a minor irritation. It was the focal point of his life. And there were moments where Abraham must have said, God, where are you in this? Did you really say that? We know that he tried his own way round. We know that he tried to take a, a second wife, which, can I say from the pulpit, is not something we ever recommend in, in this church. Uh, it's also illegal. So, you know. he, he tried a human solution because he was desperate to see the, the next step, to see the next stage, and it didn't pan out, it didn't work out. This wall thing is all about God allowing a circumstance to occur in our lives that does something that could not happen any other way. A change in us that is so important, so necessary that it takes the emotional equivalent of an earthquake to cause it to happen. These things are not something we can take lightly and say, God does it flippantly because God makes no mistakes. He knows exactly what he's doing when he allows things to take place in our lives. Even hard and difficult things, he is still in charge and things do not happen in God's world by accident. It's happening for a reason. The wall is not about the wall. The wall is about what God wants to achieve in our lives through us getting over it and coming out the other side. Because that's the other thing about the wall. You're not designed to wait the wrong side of it. You are meant to get over it. What is on the other side of the wall then? What makes it worthwhile getting over that 12-foot impossible barrier of emotional distress. On the other side of the wall, when you have gone through this, this earthquake experience emotionally, there's a greater level of brokenness, which doesn't sound at first sight like a good thing, does it? But one little illustration he used in the book that I really like most of the time, our emotions mean that we are, to an extent, prisoners of people's opinion of us. A lot of what we do, a lot of what we think, a lot of what makes us anxious and worried is, what will people think of me? If they knew this about me, what would they say? What would they do? How would they react? Humility means that you're not gripped by such things anymore. He used the example in the chapter in the book, and he said... Uh, when you really know yourself emotionally, when you're really emotionally mature, when you've been through this type of wall, come out the other side and you're humble and broken, when someone insults you, your reaction isn't anger. Your reaction is, yeah, actually I'm much worse than that. You don't even know. Because you are totally honest with knowing yourself. So the words, you know they say words can never hurt me and we know that that's not true. But you can reach that point when God takes you through these things. It's not something we can do on our own. It's a point we can reach. And it's not from becoming hard-hearted. It's from becoming healed, broken people by the grace of God. 
a greater level of brokenness, free from opinion, but also non-judgmental about other people, because that's the other side of being broken. How can someone who's been broken ever be judgmental of someone else who's broken? Instead, you've got an instant sympathy, an instant connection. When we go through our scattered Sunday experience, one of the things that we're starting to see, and it, this is good and right, and it's as Irene describes, you suddenly will get one-to-one connections with people. And do you know that none of the people that we are going to have these one-to-one connections with are perfect, got it all together, understand everything, no massive problems type of people, because those people don't exist outside of some maybe films and that. The reality is all the people we're going to connect with are going to be broken and hurting. God has prepared them. God is working in them. God is making these connections for us. None of these connections are happening by mistake. I get impatient. Who gets impatient with wanting things to happen quicker? Anyone? I get impatient. We, we, so we had our first Scattered Sunday uh, last time, like a month ago. And we used the Macmillan coffee morning idea because I heard that someone else was doing it and I thought that's really good. Because it involves cake. <laughs> Which, you know, it's an important spiritual thing, uh, possibly. So we, we had our offer and invited a few people uh, Decided I need to reevaluate my written invitation because it did look quite bad. I, I, my writing's not good. I need to get I need to, I need to get Leslie to do my writing for me. I think, uh, and only one person came to the one person who wasn't a, a follower of Jesus already. And God constantly has to correct me because I'm thinking, Lord, only one person came, and He's saying, Oh yeah, only one precious, unique individual that I have been preparing their whole life for that moment came. Yeah, okay, God, when you put it that way, actually, yeah, it's quite important. Sorry, I have to apologise for that one. So we did our second one today, and the the same one person came, but we had it somewhere else. And uh, you you know Jane and Steve, so we were at theirs having cake. So much cake. Cream cake, chocolate cake, uh, meringues, the majesty of a meringue is not often noted in church circles but can I say to you the toffee meringue I know it's not in scripture but I'm sure there are implications that it will be in heaven Uh, so we had the cake and then Jane just got up and said because we'd invited their neighbours the reason we're having it theirs was we would hope we hoped that the two three of their neighbours would come and we thought, in the same block of flats, surely they're more likely to come then. But they, they didn't come, and so we went to them. <laughs> so it's, that was kind of... But I guess no one minds. If you knock on their door with chocolate eclairs, that's all right, isn't it? That, that, that's got to be good. Uh, but the, these connections are us as broken people not going as professionals with all the answers, but going as human beings who have experienced many of the things that they've experienced, but have also experienced the grace and the healing power of Jesus. That's quite an attractive thing 
to present to someone. There's no judging going on. We're not going to look at people and say, well, you can't have our cakes until you're spiritual enough. When, when you've learned to pray for three hours a day, you can share my meringue. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to share my meringue, so that's not going to happen anyway. But... <laughs> so the greater level of brokenness, we get that when you get through the wall. A greater appreciation of the mystery of who God is. Now, again, this doesn't sound such a good thing at first, until you get hold of the idea, if you can really understand God, the chances are your idea of God is way, way smaller than God actually is. Because as the heavens are high above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. If God really is God, we have to expect and understand that there is going to be some stuff about him that is just mysterious we're just not going to be able to get it just yet not till we see him face to face so having that greater appreciation of the mystery of God's incredible holiness and grace and power and love and mercy that comes when we get through the wall Abraham had a much better understanding of the mystery of the holiness of God when after those 25 years he had this son of promise. Imagine that the emotional turmoil that he'd been through during that time, trying to sort out the problem himself, trying to, through uh, his mistress, have a, a son, and God saying, no, this son is not the right son, what are you doing? And he's gone through all this turmoil, now he's got this son, and his son's 12, and he's a good lad, and he loves him, and he's a son of the promise, and then he feels God say to him, you need to sacrifice your son. He's not a little one. He's, a, he's old enough to understand what you're doing and you're going to have to, I want you to go and sacrifice him. And he's thinking, I definitely heard this right. Now, Abraham got pretty good at hearing God's voice, but I'm guessing when he heard that, he would have asked a few times the mystery of God's power and God's grace. And God knows what he's doing. He didn't do that on a whim or by mistake. He knew exactly what he was going to do next, but somehow he needed to put Abraham through this additional wall. Abraham's running at this wall and he's just about to start reaching up and in his heart of hearts he's thinking, this, this can't be, this can't be. And then suddenly something happens within him that says, I don't understand it. It makes no sense, but God is God and he knows what he's doing so I will trust him even though it makes no sense and he leaps over the wall and God takes him to the top of the mountain and then he says lay no hand on the boy I've prepared the offering and he gives him the, the goat or the sheep to sacrifice in his place and after all that Abraham has a deeper appreciation of God's sovereign authority over every circumstance. He'd been through that. Whenever God tells him something else to do, it doesn't matter how tough it is. It's nothing compared to the wall he's just been through. Nothing that God could ask of him again ever in his life could have been as hard as that. He was through the wall. He was broken. He had this understanding of God's greatness. Greater ability to wait for God. That's the third thing that you have when you've been through the wall. 
25 years, 40 years for Moses. Moses had a bit of a patience issue, killed someone. That's, that's quite significant, isn't it? That's not something that most of us do. He had a good cause. He was really angry. He had a good cause. He saw wrong being done. And he stepped in to put right the wrong, just like in Hollywood. In Hollywood, what should have happened next is that he rose to become leader of that nation and everything was all right, but it wasn't Hollywood, it was real life. So what actually happened was Moses, who was now a murderer, ran for his life and hid out in the desert for 40 years, from the age of 40 to the age of 80. And then God called him. That's a long time waiting at a wall, isn't it? That's a long time being broken. It's a long time being prepared. But God goes as long as the game needs to be played. He takes it to its end to do what needs to be done and it couldn't have been done any other way. Moses came through. He's the other side of the war. He knows what it is to be broken and healed by God. He knows what it is to understand more the mystery of who God is. He knows what it is to wait. And finally, he has, when you've been through that war, a greater, the phrase it uses in the book is detachment. I'm going to read the scripture that explains it from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 29 to 31. It's actually chapter 7 because uh, my writing's really untidy. I might have a little look later on and see what chapter 3 says because I'm sure that's good as well. I think glass is off. Oh, you've all gone. That's a little joke. You are, I know you're still here, really. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is this. The time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do, do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. In other words, when you reach this, this stage of detachment. You know you're in the world and there are certain things that you still have to do, but it's no longer your focus because you've been through the war and you know when you're going over a war, you can't carry a lot of stuff with you. You have to leave a lot of stuff behind and your heart no longer is set upon those things. It's actually set upon Jesus. It means reordering your priorities. Yeah, you still do the other things, but now your priority is Jesus. So that's what being the other side of the wall is all about. The journey to becoming mature is not a comfortable journey. We, we've heard that and we've learned that. It does mean addressing stuff from behind us and making it right in order to move forward. So it means sometimes looking at things from the past to put it right. It means knowing ourselves examining ourselves understanding or asking God to give us understanding of why we feel the way we do why do we react why do we get angry about certain things whatever's going on within us but part of that if we don't do it ourselves 
is that God will bring us to this wall experience. Because to repeat again, the wall is not all about the wall. The wall about is about what God wants us to be when we come over it and we go through the other side. The wall is what God will use in our lives, however is right for us, to force us on the next step when we get stagnant. Because the danger that we all face as followers of Jesus is getting comfortable and stagnant, stopping still. In church, we sometimes talk about how easy it is to sit in a service that's great and enjoyable. And it becomes a, a safety zone for us. We come along, we enjoy the celebration, it's great, it's wonderful, and that's where we stay. And that's never God's plan for us. So he then has to put something in our lives to nudge us on. The same in our individual lives. God wants us to grow. God wants us to be going through these stages, these seasons of life, to reach that point where we recognize we are like Jesus. And we are all on this journey. Don't ever feel, I'm the only one who's stuck in stage one or stuck in stage two. We are all on the journey and we all get stuck at times and God is still in control God is still in charge if we're stuck and we're waiting at a wall expect to get over it ask God for that help when it comes when the wall comes when you have that experience and you feel those things that I've described before the, the feelings that your faith not working your prayers aren't being answered you're stuck and you don't know what's going on and God seems a million miles away just check out with God God, is this a time now for me to break through and get over this into what you've got next for me? I love the picture of crouching down because you can't get over the wall by yourself because it's too high and working in unison, working in a team to get that lift over the wall. That's a good picture, isn't it? And we can see that and we can think, Lord, you know, don't, don't try and overcome these things on your own. There's people God has put around you to be the ones that lift you up. Try not to stand on their heads when you're doing it, but God has put these people next to you. But there's another picture I want to leave you with, I want to finish with. When I was doing basic training, there was a, a, a lad, a, a lad, he was 35. Uh, he was not as old as me by a long way. He was the, he was the next oldest to me on, on training. He was, he was not a tall man. If he had been in Lord of the Rings he would not have been an elf. He struggled when we were marching because when you march as a squad, it's really difficult to keep in step when you've got little legs and you're trying to go at the same pace as everyone else. It's really hard. But that paled into insignificance to the difficulties faced when reaching the 12-foot wall. Because I said before the the 12 foot wall is the height of two men normally. In his case, possibly three. So it's, it's a difficult, practical, difficult thing. And so Matt, he was such a high... You know, some people just give their all all the time. And this was Matt. Really nice. He was also from Bristol. And as you may know, people from Bristol, they're like the gold standard of English people. Did you know that? I don't, I don't know if you know that. Uh, so anyway... So, so Matt, somehow he ends up last in the list of other going down your sort course. That's not a good thing. Because you'll notice if you're last, 
Who is there to crouch and get you over the wall? Are you thinking that? I didn't realize that until it actually happened. So there's a different approach to the person who's last because there's no one there to lift you up. The two people before you, they stay at the top of the wall. They stay at the top of the wall, hanging over it from their waist and reaching down. And the person who's last has to run at the wall as hard as they can, kind of get a foot up and launch themselves upwards while the two men above reach down, grab hold of them and pull them up. Unfortunately for Matt, the two people that were left at the top of the wall was me, who'd fell off and had to go round again. Not a good sign. And my friend John, who was an incredibly tall young man. He, he was 20. Incredibly tall. He had the upper body strength of a cricket. So it took, I said before it took me three, I think it took him four attempts, and you're starting to despair, but somehow the very, very last attempt, the fingers touched and gripped, managed to get hold with the other hands, and we desperately pulled him up because we're thinking to ourselves, if we don't do it this time, a terrible thing will happen we will have to walk back because the lorry will be gone. And we only have 45 minutes to have our tea. I will not have time to have pudding <laughs> if we don't succeed this time round. So my hands became steel and we hauled Matt, little Matt, over the top of the wall and this time fortunately the corporal didn't watch when I slumped unceremoniously and landed in a crumpled heap on the far side and we carried on and you'll all be pleased to know I got my pudding <laughs> I like an inspirational story you see that don't you final point then when you're at your wall, when you're at the base of the wall and you feel like you're the only one left there, you will not be able to scramble up by yourself because this thing that God has allowed into your life, this circumstance, this emotional earthquake that is there, is utterly dependent on you, possibly with the help of those God has put around you. And that comes through honest sharing, prayer and looking after each other. But, without any shadow of a doubt, unless you're reaching up, somewhat in desperation, and it might feel like you have to make two or three attempts sometimes, but those hands, unlike mine and unlike John's, will have all the strength that's needed to pull you up over the wall that you are not designed to stay trapped by. Because the wall is not about the wall, the wall is about God, in his sovereign and perfect will, making you 
not just who you were always meant to be, making you like Jesus for the sake of those around you that God loves more than we can possibly imagine. Because all these connecting people that we're going to meet through our scattered Sundays and everywhere else that we go, God passionately loves them. And the reason that we're still here, rather than Jesus taking us to be with him, is so that we can gather those people in and that we, together with them, can go to be with Jesus when the time is right. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that these things that we've talked about, the crisis, the emotional earthquakes, the traumas that you allow somehow into our lives are not an accident or a mistake, but there is purpose and there is reason in everything that happens. Father, give us grace, not just to surrender to your will, but to continually and actively seek your face in every circumstance. Lord, forgive us for the times we have stagnated, for the times we've been complacent, for the times we've allowed our pride to be what rules us instead of your sovereign grace. And Lord, we don't just say bless our plans, we say allow us to make our plans turn upside down to become your plans. As soul shared, your plans for us are good plans. And Lord, we look to you, sovereign King, maker of heaven and earth. Have your way in us that we might be the other side of the wall in your presence, living for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.